You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Ransomware hits Spanish companies, Pegasus continues to excite controversy in India, TikTok applies for Big Tech's Good Citizen Club, but has apparently, so far, been blackballed. Booz Allen offers nine predictions for 2020, and Good Dogs go after bad guys' data storage devices. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner, with a little bit of a cold, with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, November 5th, 2019. Ransomware has hit Spain. Reuters reports that a ransomware attack hit the country's largest radio station, Cadena SER, yesterday. National service was disrupted, but local broadcasting continued without interruption. It's unknown what strain of ransomware was involved in the attack. SER is working toward recovery. Spain's National Security Department said that other unspecified companies were affected by similar attacks. The agency said that SER had disconnected its major systems from its networks, and it recommended that other organizations similarly affected do likewise. Bleeping Computer says it's obtained a leaked copy of a ransom note that confirms that NTT data subsidiary Iveris was one of the officially unnamed companies that were also hit. One of Spain's larger managed service providers, Iveris is thought to have been infected with a variant of BitPamer ransomware. The extortionists have asked the MSP for just under $836,000 in ransom, Bitcoin.es reports. Other enterprises are concerned about the possibility of downstream attacks flowing from those affecting the widely used MSP. Bleeping Computer cites an anonymous source close to those investigating the incident as saying that the extortionists may have exploited the BlueKeep vulnerability in their attack, but the grounds for this suspicion may be circumstantial. The advice to disconnect systems is being read by more than a few observers as an indication that there's a worm involved, and the wormhole of the day is, of course, BlueKeep. The list of those WhatsApp warned of possible Pegasus infections strikes many in India as suggesting that the spyware was distributed by the government. India's government, the BBC reports, denies any such involvement in the incident. The scroll describes the activists, lawyers, and scholars whose devices were affected. WhatsApp's litigation against NSO Group is proceeding in a U.S. court, but Reuters reports that an activist lawyer has petitioned India's Supreme Court to direct the country's counterterrorism agency to open an investigation into not only NSO Group, but also WhatsApp and its corporate parent, Facebook. One of the matters at issue is said to be a claim that the app's encryption isn't up to snuff. The Chinese-owned social media app TikTok remains the subject of a U.S. security investigation, and the Defense Department is considering how to educate military personnel about the risks the app might pose, Military Times reports. 
TikTok seems destined for the Huawei ZTE treatment from Washington, and it's displaying the kind of preemptive good corporate citizenship the two hardware giants used in their own charm offenses. In TikTok's case, the social medium has applied to join the Global Internet Forum to counter terrorism, a club to which Facebook, Microsoft, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest, Dropbox, Amazon, LinkedIn, and WhatsApp currently belong. The Hill says that the forum has so far declined to admit TikTok, probably over concerns surrounding the company's data collection and censorship practices, but you can't blame them for trying. Booz Allen today released its predictions for the major threat trends of 2020. They call out nine of these. First, the global balkanization of technology, by which they mean such government policies as Roskomnadzor's movement toward creating an autarctic Russian internet, and Moscow's offers to create similar national Internet infrastructures for the BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, as well as an alternative domain name system. Second, they see the clones and counterfeits posing a growing threat to supply chains. Third, the swiftly increasing rates at which automobiles generate data will prove, they say, irresistible to cyber criminals. They expect the hoods to work hard at stealing information from cars, and monetize that information as they have other categories of data. And a similar development, the proliferation of drones as business tools, will, in Booz Allen's fourth prediction, increase many businesses' attack surfaces. A lot of Bluetooth exploits, for example, work only if you're close to the targets, and drones will, they say, make for a new generation of war driving. Fifth, since satellites are becoming more enmeshed with terrestrial IT, The study predicts more cyber attacks against satellites. Consider the ubiquity of GPS and the arrival of satellite constellations like Starlink that will deliver the Internet to users on the ground. Sixth, nation-states can be expected to use more of the same attack tools and techniques, and attribution, already difficult, will get tougher. Seventh, threat actors will continue their efforts to interfere with elections by the trolling of opinion, by disinformation, and by direct attack on election infrastructure. Cyber operations will continue their integration with conventional kinetic military operations. Sometimes that will offer nation-states a non-lethal option, but, and here's their eighth prediction, at other times cyber attacks can be expected to prompt kinetic retaliation. And ninth and last, next year the world will come to Tokyo for the Olympic Games. There won't be any medals in cyber, but the competition can be expected to be fierce. Ourselves, we're pulling for Team Japan on this one. Finally, The New Yorker this week takes a quick look at how dogs help investigate cybercrime. No, you can't learn to code at obedience school, but on the principle that any cyberspace badness has to manifest itself in some hardware sometime, somewhere, police agencies are training dogs to sniff out electronics to help them find the servers, flash drives, SD cards, GPS units, Bitcoin hardware wallets, and so forth, on which criminal evidence can be found. These things are often hidden away like other contraband, inside file cabinets, walls, fire extinguishers, and the like. The specialty is called Electronic Storage Detection, ESD, and the dogs are trained to sniff out triphenylphosphine oxide, commonly used to coat memory chips. The handlers train their canine assistants with treats, And, says one trainer, that's why they tend to favor labs, because labs have big appetites for snacks, even by dog standards. So if you're up to no good, the dogs will sniff you out. Or at least your triphenylphosphine oxide. 
Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's the Program Director for Public Policy and External Affairs at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Ben, always great to have you back. Uh, this is a story uh, came by on Motherboard, written by Joseph Cox, and the title is AT&T Says Customers Can't Sue the Company for Selling Location Data to Bounty Hunters. What's going on here? So we saw some articles earlier in the year based on investigations by Motherboard and other entities that AT&T and other telecommunications companies were uh, selling user location data to bounty hunters for a price. Once this information became public, AT&T and the other companies uh, claimed that they were not going to do this anymore. They're going to change their policies. And that is all well and good. But uh, the people whose information was uh, the subject of those sales obviously have some sort of uh, legal grievance against AT&T. So they decided to file a class action lawsuit in order to get themselves compensated for damages, but also uh, to halt AT&T from engaging in this practice uh, Hmm. in the future. And AT&T is saying that those users cannot instigate a class action lawsuit because when they agreed to their terms of services, they agreed to resolve all disputes in arbitration proceedings. So it is a mandatory arbitration agreement. Now, pretty much every telecommunications company and pretty much any big business for that matter has these mandatory arbitration clauses. When you sign those terms and conditions, when you press I agree to the 40 pages of terms and conditions that AT&T is presenting itself when I just want to open my new iPhone, Mm -hmm. um, 
you are agreeing to these mandatory arbitration clauses. Um, these are very disfavorable to users of the technology because generally AT&T picks the arbiters. Um, so you, <laughs> the, the users themselves, once it gets into arbitration, generally do not have a good chance of uh, winning at those proceedings. And you're cutting off all other avenues of judicial review. So this is, you know, I think a, a public policy issue if these technology companies are able to enforce these mandatory arbitration clauses, there's not sufficient recourse for users when AT&T and, and other te- uh, telecommunications companies engage in, in questionable conduct. Now, an interesting note in this article, they spoke to uh, an attorney, uh, Adam Gutride, I believe his name is, mm-hmm. and he had sued AT&T over an incident involving roaming fees, and they persuaded a circuit court that the arbitration clause was unenforceable. What's going on there? So his claim is that um, because the arbitration clause would prevent consumers from uh, obtaining what's called a public injunction, which is a way to stop the alleged illegal uh, conduct, that mandatory arbitration is not enforceable. Hmm. I think this is an interesting argument. Um, That was a decision made at the Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals. So obviously, they've gotten themselves to the appeals court level. Um, This has not been subject to review by uh, the United States Supreme Court. I don't know if that argument will ultimately prevail, um, but that's probably the best chance users are going to get for some sort of equitable outcome. You know, the other option they mentioned in this article for users is to opt out of the arbitration clause, Mm -hmm. um, which some telecommunications companies allow you to do while uh, still agreeing to the majority of the terms and conditions. Um, But I just think most lay people never read the terms and conditions, probably have no idea what a mandatory arbitration clause is, and would have no way of, of knowing that this was a potential option. So I think it's it's really a recourse and name only. Um, the other recourse is uh, to make changes in public policy, and that's actually what's happening at the congressional level right now. So the House passed a bill that would prohibit uh, mandatory arbitration clauses. It was an acronym known as the FAIR Act. I don't know <laughs> what this, this acronym I'm was. I'm guessing the A stands for arbitration. but Something uh, like that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that's the case, right. but I don't know what they right. came up with for the other letters. Yeah. Um, this is something that Democratic members of the House have been working on for a while. They see these uh, mandatory arbitration clauses as unfair to consumers. Um, it blocks the ability for consumers to get recourse uh, in the event of bad behavior from big business. This bill is going nowhere fast in the United States Senate, so it is not a policy that's going to be adopted in the near term. But this could be a preview of uh, future federal uh, action to curtail the use of these mandatory arbitration agreements. Hmm. We'll keep an eye on it. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. 
Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Vaughn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Thank you.